I'd like you to uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 3, uh, chapter 1 again, chapter 1. We've been talking about the church as not a company of people that are static, that just do our own thing, that organize ourselves according to our own best best thoughts. But we are uh, people who gather around the presence of God that's very dynamic, that's always moving. And if you think of the church not just as something that is uh, constituted from a manward or a humanward point of, point of view, orientation, but from God, then God makes the first move and we follow Him, right? So a lot of times we think of church in the normal organizational corporate sense in which we think of man trying to follow God and do the things that the Bible says. And so we think of the church as uh, the, the Bible as a manual, Yeah. I don't think that's a very necessary, a very helpful way of thinking of it because the manual tends to be like, I read the, the, the words and then I try to put it into practice. I want to put it to you that actually the, the Lord speaks through these words. God speaks through. If the Lord is not speaking through these words, there has limited value. Unless the Lord is speaking His word through these words, then what happens is that we are just trying to follow words but what we have as a church is something that's much more dynamic. It is the Lord's event, the Lord's doing stuff, and we just follow Him. Isn't that amazing? So we've been talking about the church not only as a timeless body of people, but as timely as well. And you don't have the church as a dynamic river, it's moving. Then what you have is that you actually have something that is dead. Yeah? No matter how much we try to follow the Bible and follow the Scriptures, it's dead because it's not following someone who's moving. And so we've been talking about that. And so we saw how um, in, the, in, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you shall receive power yeah, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The church is predicated on the power of the Holy Spirit. The church only started because they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no church. Right? I, I remember here talking to some uh, uh, Christian leader who says, you know, I take great pride in the fact that without the Holy Spirit, we can do so much just by following the Bible. I want to put it to you that actually that doesn't come to anything. The Holy Spirit is the one. It is upon the, it is, uh, it's upon the Holy Spirit that the church is predicated. Yeah? It's, it's a, and so we have to think about it not so much in terms of what the church did, to organize themselves, um, but what the Holy Spirit was doing. And always they were waiting for the Holy Spirit yeah, in real time. And so we saw this, and I'd like you to join with me looking at this passage that we had been looking at for a while. In the midst of this timely keeping pace with God, following Him, something that was happening in real time, in verse 15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up. In those days, in the midst of that, day after day after day after day, 50 days, in the midst of all the things that was happening as it was happening, Jesus, Peter stood up. Right? Peter didn't decide like, okay, I know what I'm going to, 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 to do this, to, to do. As we get into this prayer meeting, I'm going to share this principle and then that principle will guide everything. No, they were praying and the Holy Spirit was leading them and as they led, were led by the Holy Spirit and followed the, 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 the tone, the voice, and the movements of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit struck Peter, and Peter got a sense 
that they could not go any further unless they dealt a work to address tremendous healing that was needed, tremendous wounding, and tremendous betrayal to such an extent that they could not move further. They could not move further. I want to put it to you that actually all of us as church will only experience church if you are part of a company of people who are waiting upon God, however that happens, right? However that happens, it can happen in many ways, for God to take you someplace or do something together as a church. Have you ever been in such a situation like that? Where you've been part of a group of people praying for revival or praying for something to take place or something that the Lord has moved your hearts to band together and bind together to see happen? I've been part of, 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 of groups that prayed for a campus like in, in, in uh, my campus days, uh, my, my college days. I was part of a group of about 16 people who were praying for our campus, praying for our campus for revival to take place. It was very, very dry, and no one from my campus had come to the Lord before that. And then we started praying because the Lord put it upon our heart that He is going to cause revival to take place in campus, on campus. And so we started praying, 16 of us. We started praying, and we prayed, and we prayed, and prayed. None of us were filled with the Holy Spirit. None of us ourselves had been had been a, a, a feeling that God was real in our lives. In fact, quite a few of us were not even sure, sure whether we were saved or not. But we said that if the Bible says that He will pour out water upon a dry and thirsty land, then it has to be true. Whether I'm a Christian or not, I need to know whether it's true. Maybe if it's true, if it really happens, then it'd be easier for me to be a Christian. I mean, that's what some of them were thinking. Does that make sense? It's all a matter of whether God is real or not, whether God actually delivers on His Word or not, right? Yes? Have you ever been part of that in which it hasn't happened? There's this glorious thing that God says has happened. It's, it's larger than life. And you are a part of people who are saying, we're going to test this out. We're going to see whether it's really true or not. Like the Bereans, you know, when, the, when, 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 when Paul and his, his cohorts came, it says they were of a more noble spirit because they were not going to just take Paul's word for, uh, for, uh, for it, right? They wouldn't just take, take his word for it, but they would actually test it out and see. The Bereans were more, more um, uh, they were more noble than the Thessalonians because the Thessalonians just shut him down and, and kicked him out straight away. The, the Bereans found what he said kind of intriguing Kind of far-fetched. But he said, okay, we'll give it a chance. The Berean church was predicated upon a group of people testing it out to see whether it really could be true in their lives. There are many promises that God has given to us for our children, for ourselves, for our future, for our well-being, for our, you know, for our inner life, for our outer life, all that. There are many promises but not many people are like the Bereans who want to test it out and see it really come to pass. They are comforted by the words of that, and we are comforted by precious little. And I remember that as the 16 of us prayed, 
the more and more we prayed, the more and more God transformed us and gave us conviction. And the conviction grew and grew and grew and grew. And we grew from being a timid, motley crew, we're not even sure about our salvation, to a group of people who in our hearts believed that this was really true. In a matter of about a, just under a year, something broke forth in our campus and miracles started happening. It started happening when someone, while we were, you know, studying, this group of us, had a, had a fit. And he had a fit in so much of a public space that there was a huge commotion because of this fit that he was having. He was biting his tongue that was bleeding, coming out of his mouth and all that. And people started panicking, running all over the place. Some of, the, some of, so some of our, my friends who are Muslims who believed in animism in some way believed in the folk religion, and they started running away because they were saying hantu, hantu, which means spirits. They could tell it was spirits. And as they ran, as they ran away, they came to us and they said, you know, in Malay, there's, there's a spirit, there's a spirit that's there. Better run away. And my friends and I, by that time, after about maybe nine months of prayer, were so Bold and emboldened, we don't know where that boldness came from. It happens when you pray together again and again and again. And God mixes you up and, and jumps on the grapes, right? Jumps on the grapes and, 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 and spurts out the new wine. We came and we prayed for, for him. And we laid hands and we prayed for him. And immediately he was delivered. He was so delivered that he started worshipping the Lord and he shared with us that he was actually a Christian before and he had gone away from the Lord and God had called him into full-time ministry and he rededicated himself to the Lord. That's how the Spirit of God began to sweep through our campus. Before long, professors came to the Lord, college students came to the Lord and it went on for years. It went on for years after I had left campus as well. Now, if I don't know how many years later, a hundred years later, the people in the, in, the, in the fellowship still talk about the revival that took place in 1979. 1979, they still talk about it. Isn't that amazing? I want to put it to you that church is not what human beings organize although that is a very important part of it. You have to have the structures, you have to have the, the, the proper uh, the order for, for us to actually happen, or else what will happen is that the rain will come and everything will be destroyed. But there is a way in which church has to be really radically redefined as a happening of God, in which a group of people are banded together around the happening of God and are tracking, walking with that until it comes to fruition. That's what happens with the Berean church, and that's what we see here. In real time, Time, in a timely way, not just in a timeless way, but in a timely way, day after day, moment after moment. This can't happen before this has to happen. If this doesn't happen, then you can't have the next step. It takes us step by step, and the Holy Spirit takes us a step, and He forms us, and He forms us together. And when, when that happens, revival takes place. I remember my, 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 my friend as well. You see, we were new in this revival stuff in, the, in college, but there was a friend of mine, mine, his name was John Raja. 
And you can read his story in the book Drunk Before Dawn by, uh, by, um, by uh, Borneo Evangelical Fellowship. And John was 13 years old, studying in a, in a boarding school in the jungle somewhere. He was a club, as a tribesman. And he and his friend this had read um, Mel Tari's book, Drunk Before the Dawn. Yeah, Drunk Before the Dawn. And, he, and John and, and, and he said, why can't that happen for us? Because what had happened is that in Indonesia, in Indonesia when the Spirit of God was poured upon, upon them, miracles started happening, just amazing miracles. Even miracles that were fun, actually, for kids. And it happened among the kids. The, the revival in, in uh, Irian Jaya actually started with kids and then it spread to the adults. And so John said to his friend, why don't we just pray for that? The friend said, how long are you willing to pray for that? And John thought about it for a long time. And then he says, for as long as it takes. Not knowing how long it would take. They prayed every Friday in the evening in their dorm for one year. And after one year, they did not know whether anything was going to happen or not. And then just after that one year mark, they were praying. By that time, there were about 15 of them. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were at their desks. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they started very, feeling very convicted of their sins. They are convicted of who they were with God. But what was more important, the presence of God was so real, they were a bit scared. A bit scared. And as they were praying, the Holy Spirit came and they were all weeping before the Lord. They were just on the floor, just, 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 just repenting. And then what happened was that People started coming, other kids started coming into this room. And before the law, before long, the room was filled with children, kids in their early teens, repenting and crying. The presence of God was so real that they, nobody was speaking anything, nobody was sharing anything. They were just praying. And people would come in and it would be as if they knew what had been going on before. And they would just take their place they'll knee down and they'll start weeping before the Lord. Before long, the whole hostel or the whole dorm was coming before the Lord and they were confessing their sins to one another. And then they went to the teachers and they apologized for all the times that they had cheated or they had been rude and all that before long. And they had to close the school down for one week. That was the beginning of the revival in East Malaysia. They had many, many waves of revival. But before I, I knew I could spend the whole day talking about that because um, um, John now is a pastor uh, and I knew him and he spent many, many hours t- telling me about this, many, many days t- talking to me about this. But can, I, can you see that actually we have to redefine church not from the manward side but from the Godward side. You have to re- redefine church according to what God is doing and because of that, you cannot be too clear, too certain about all your theology about church. Because so much of what the Bible talks about is a narrative of what happened. If you start building a, a, a theology out of what happened, 
you may be calcifying and, 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 and solidifying and, 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 and making stuck the movements of the Holy Spirit. The, the church is something that's much more dynamic. Amen? So I want to put it to you that I want to invite you to church. However, that, however form that takes, I want to put it to you that actually the Lord is doing something and He can start small, really small, and I'd rather it start small because it's less, less complicated. But when He starts with what the RAF fighters in World War II call, the Spitfire fighters call, the few, what happens is God bonds us together not in a static structure to fulfill all that we want to, want to make happen, but to follow God. And I want to especially invite you to prayer so that in prayer, we start following what the Holy Spirit is doing. Amen? When we, that happens, God will bond us together in a way that we don't even know. We may, we may not even talk to one another that much, but we'll be bonded together in the Spirit. And so what happened was that as they were praying in real time, it says, in those days, or in those days, that means in the flow of what the Holy Spirit has done, Peter stood up and he knew we hit a block. And we talked about that two weeks ago. We hit the block. We can't go any further because of this wounding. It's hard for us to trust God. It's hard for us to trust God. And there's a wound that has taken place. I remember when I was in, in, in those days praying for revival and all that and, 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 and just praying for, my, for, for God to actually move and, and all that. I found that it happened to me as well. I found that at a certain point, I could not pray because something had happened in um, about three years before that to really make me disappointed with God. Because I had thought that God was going to actually get me into law school. And uh, I had applied for law school in, in Malaysia. Law is an undergraduate degree, just like uh, in Britain. And, uh, and what had happened is that news came back after I had been accepted into law that I could not do law because of various things, including my, um, my citizenship. I was not a citizen in Malaysia. I was a Singapore citizen. And... and, and uh, and the, during that time, I had prayed that God would actually give me a chance to get to do law. And, and I felt that God had spoken to me about it, that I would. And then I've told the story many times, many of you know this, that finally the letter came that, I, that made me very disappointed. I could not do law. I will have to do some other, some other cause. And because of that, that sense of God having spoken and then it not coming to pass, I just, just couldn't get past that. My mind could not get past it. My, I tried to talk to many leaders, uh, my parents and all that, but somehow nobody could actually logically get me around that offense. And so I was offended by God. And as a result of that, even though I continued going to church and, 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 and being involved with Christian um, uh, activities for a while, there was a certain amount of reserve what prayer, regular prayer does is that it brings you, especially when you're, you're not just talking about things that you want God to do, but you're, 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 you're wanting to God to, to follow God and to be able to hear His voice. You come to a block. And that's what happened with the, the church. And Peter said, got up and he said, 
And this is uh, in verse 15. He, got, he stood up among the believers and said in verse 16, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, For he was numbered among us. He was part of us. He allotted and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. So this man, with the amount that he had earned, 30 pieces of silver from the Pharisees and the, from the Sanhedrin to betray Jesus, thought he'd buy a piece of real estate. So he bought his real estate. Finally, he had a piece of real estate. He was prosperous. But it's in this prosperity that he killed himself. There's a lesson there somewhere, all right? Verse 19, this became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their language, Hakel Dama, that is, field of blood. And so what happened is that they brought this up before the, the disciples, 120 of them. And as I was reading this uh, two weeks ago, it struck me during prayer, our Sunday evening prayer, that there are people who are here who, for whom there's been a Judas in your life, and that Judas is no longer there anymore. And I sense that there were two kinds of people here. There was one who actually missed Judas. You actually miss something that God has taken away, someone that has been taken away. It's not good for you. It wasn't good for you. God had to save you. But you have to let it go. You're holding on to Judas. And for some reason, because you're holding on to Judas, perhaps there is an emotional attachment to it. Or perhaps there is this person in your life or this thing in your life that you gave you pleasure and gave you comfort. But that comfort is not a good comfort. It's not a comfort that will bring you closer to God. It's a comfort that will actually make you comfortable without God. And I can imagine how he was among us, you know. You know he was one of us. He had a portion among us, it says. And so you can see the emotional... Uh, 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 emotional freight in this. And Peter says, like, these are people, this is one, somebody who perhaps you missed. Or, and I think this is another category of people, and that is, Judas has done you deep wrong and you can't forgive him. He's, not only can you not forgive him, but he has done you a deep injury and although you want to be rid of him, he will not be rid of you. He will follow you to every party you go to, every relationship you go to, every project you, you go to, every uncertainty. He will follow you and he will cast his ugly shadow over every optimism that you have, every hope that you have. Judas will not let you go. And some of you, you don't want to let Judas go. <laughs> and some of you, Judas will not let you go. And this prevents you from going further in prayer because it will cause you to always feel far away from God. I just want to deal with this right now. If you, if you don't mind, we can just pray. If there's any of you that feel that there are places in your life in which you've been betrayed, you've been hurt, and these hurts are things you just can't shake off, I want to put it to you that God wants to set you free from that today.
I believe we are in the moment of God, in a moment of time in which God is on this. There may be some of you who are weakened because your heart is still hankering after the emotional connection that you had with Judas. And let's have a look before we go into prayer at what they had to do. You ready? All right. So what happened was that in verse 20, we won't have much time to, to do this. Um, verse 20, 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and they got guidance and they got a word from the Lord. The, the Lord brought up Psalms, one of the Psalms, and said, let his homestead become desolate and let there be no one to live in it. What, what God was saying is, leave it alone, let it be desolate. Don't try to repeat it. Don't go back and don't try to get inner healing. Don't try to go back and heal the, heal the past and all that. Don't go, don't, go, don't go back and try to talk and talk and talk and talk until everything is all resolved. It'll never happen. Let the homestead be, 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 be desolate. Even though it's a waste of 30 pieces of silver, you just cut your losses and go leave it alone. Let the dead bury the bed. Amen? Let his homestead be alone and let there be no one to live in it. Don't, you're not supposed to dwell in it. In your mind, your heart, don't dwell in those things because if you dwell in those things, even though they're not resolved, there, even though you don't, they're not resolved emotionally or intellectually or, or cognitively, you leave it alone. It's, it's done. Only God's blood, only the blood of Jesus can actually um, uh, uh, eradicate it. Let there be no one to live in it and let another take his position. And let another take his position. Verse 24, they prayed and said, Lord, you know everything, everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two. One of them was uh, Joseph and the other one was Matthias. They were the ones who were up for candidacy. Show, that, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in his ministry. Isn't that amazing? And the first thing that I want to put, it to, you, put, put to you as we go into this message, the first of three points is this. You have to choose God's choice. Not your choice. Not other people's choice. Not the choice that's been imposed upon you. You have to choose God's choice. And he says, let somebody take its place. Only God can fill that vacuum. And only God is powerful in his blood to fill the blood. Only God can drain the hakel dama, the field of blood. Drain the field of blood until he can fill all in all. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to, be, to, be re, to, to have Judas replaced? Judas may be someone who's, who's, a, who's, who's something that sounds pretty benign. But you have to have him replaced by the choice of the Holy Spirit. Everything's predicted, predicated upon the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to get another guy to replace uh, Judas called Matthias. No, we want the Holy Spirit's choice. Amen? We are choosing the Holy Spirit. You may not know how good it would be, whether you like it that much, but you say, I choose the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to be healed. I want to invite you to just close your eyes and just lift up your hands. If there's anyone who feels the Lord is speaking to him or her, I want to invite you to just invite the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I give up Judas. Replace him with your choice, Lord. I want your choice. Come Holy Spirit. You know the, the field of blood that's been my life. 
It's made me not trust you. But I want you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me with your appointments for my disappointment. In Jesus' name. I don't understand. I don't understand why it happened. I don't know where I understand. I don't understand where I went wrong. And why did you do this to me? But I'm going to let it remain desolate right now and still follow you. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit, heal. And now we just surrender Judas to you. We surrender the field of blood to you. And we welcome the Holy Spirit, the comforter. It's you that we want, Lord. Amen. Amen. God's choice. Okay, so the first point is God's choice. And then they continued. Verse 26, And they cast their lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Um, historical documents uh, seem to suggest that Matthias became a martyr in uh, Afghanistan. Um, we are never sure about these historical <laughs> records, but it seems like there is some, some evidence that he became a worthy um, apostle. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, many of you know what, 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 what transpired after that. There were 3,000 people who came to the Lord, right? Because they heard the, the, the praises of God in their very own language. So these tongues were actual languages. They're not just the heavenly language uh, that we are more commonly used to. But it says here, as they were continued to wait, wait, the day of Pentecost finally came. And I like the King James Version because it is a, it's a bit more literal. Um, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, okay? when the day of Pentecost had fully come, it is almost as if the day of Pentecost uh, uh, is, is, a, is a phrase that takes its understanding from the Hebrew understanding of things, of things being filled up. Like time being filled up, when the fullness of time, have you heard of that phrase? The fullness of time. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, fully come. Now, we can't make too much out of that exegetically. We can't, we can't go, go to town with it. Go, we can't go wild with that. All to say this, there is such a thing as waiting until the time fills up. Finally, the time came. You can see how the time actually had to be filled up because the Hakel Dama issue had to be dealt with. The Judas issue had to be dealt with. So sometimes when we're waiting for God, we are not actually waiting for nothing, you know, in this vast expanse of time in which nothing is happening. No, actually the waiting is the Lord taking us through certain things that He's doing in our lives. That's why church has to be that. There's a step-by-step step moving together. One thing must happen before the other. When the day of Pentecost fully came, they were all in one place together. Amen? And it says here, suddenly, whew, verse 2, 
And suddenly, wow, get this. It had to fully come. Yeah? Things have to actually happen in God's timing. You have to go in time with God. You've got to set time in God. So you have to be together. You have to be doing these things together. And then suddenly, suddenly means without reference to anything that you did, a completely, the, the philosophical word is abrupt event takes place. Right? Not occasioned by anything that we did by cause and effect, not occasioned by anything that we made happen. That suddenly means from the other side, not from any action that I do. It's abrupt. In a sense, it's a, it doesn't happen gradually. It didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't come gradually. The Holy Spirit came at His own behest, at His own time. And so the disciples had to live church this way. I'm at His pleasure. I can't plan Him into my timetable. Time I am at His pleasure because when He comes, He comes suddenly. I can't plan him in. I can't play, pr- pl- plan that. Okay, I'm going to pray for 50 days. By the 50th day, I expect that I'll be all f- ready for the Holy Spirit to come. And Holy Spirit, you can come on the 29th of December. We should do all things uh, in, in good order and properly. And so Holy Spirit, you can come at, on the 29th of December. No, he comes suddenly. If he's going to come suddenly, that means the point about his time is this. He has really... We have no say in when he wants to do what he wants to do. To live like that with, you, with people is a pain, don't you think? You make an appointment to see somebody for lunch and the person says, I'll come when I come. What will you say to him? Do you think I'm your servant? Am I your waiter? And what God says is precisely, I'll come when I come. But when I come, it's when you are ready. But you don't know when you're ready. You think you're ready, but you don't know what it takes for you to be ready. But when you're ready, you'll be so combustible that the fire of God will do, cause you to do things that will have full fruit. But you don't know when that is. You may think you're ready, You may think you're qualified. You may think that people should be ready for you. But I know when you're ready. Amen? And I know when the day will be ready as well. Because on the day of Pentecost, everybody from all the different countries were there. They were all gathered. The day of Pentecost was the day where there are most people from, there are most, what do you call, internationals gathering around Jerusalem. More than any other feast. Even more than the Feast of Tabs. Uh, tabernacles, yeah? The day of Pentecost was even more, even more um, um, crowded. And so it's not only when you are ready, but when God is ready, when the world is ready for it, yeah? But you are to be ready in God's time. So we said we heard God's choice. Now we're talking about God's time. God's time is when He wants. As far as I'm concerned, God's time means it's any time and I've got to be ready all the time. So I have to live like a waiter. Amen? Can you see how church cannot be run as a static organization? It cannot be run based upon what we plan to do for God. We can listen to God 
and we can do the structures, but we're always flexible. But the more important thing is not that. The more important thing is that we are following God together. It's a movement, it's an action, it's a, it's a d- dynamic thing that's happening. That's why I invite you to join us for prayer. Even if you can only do it once a week, just join it because you can track. How do you track? Not by, by coordinating and everybody sharing what they have. That's not, the, that's not the only way. The main tracking is we all together connect into the Holy Spirit. We connect into God. We connect into the same place. And something mysterious happens to us and fills us. Before long, what will happen is that we'll be so coordinated. My children and our family, we, we always joke that when we get a word, another person will get the same word. It happens every day almost. It's almost, almost every day that that happens. It was Zephy's birthday. And Zephy said to, said to me a, few, a week before that, Daddy, I want you to give me a word, okay? Pray for it. So I knew that. I knew that to take it seriously. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, the day came, 28th of August, and uh, we wrote, wrote her a card, Cindy and I, and both Cindy and I had a word. And I gave her the words, Isaiah 62. And Zephi said, that is the word that God gave me on the day of my birthday for my quiet time. It happens all the time. All the time. All the time, you know. Almost every day. Amen? My kids are always asking me, give me a word. Asking Cindy, give me a word. Just recently I asked Cindy, can you give me a word? I was a bit worried about my bone scan, honestly. And uh, I, uh, I kept on getting this phrase in my mind, you will find nothing. Psalm 17, you will find nothing. But the Lord never gave me that word. I just found that word just kind of hanging around. I said, Lord, I wish you'd give me that word. And they will find, you will find nothing. You have searched me in the night, you'll find, find nothing. It just kept on coming to my mind. So one day I said to Cindy, Cindy, have you got a word for me? She said, then she said, Psalm 17. And I did not know that that was Psalm 17. So I read it, and there was that word. Does that make sense? You get unity, not just by talking a whole bunch. That's all good. But when you pray, you, 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 you connect into the same place, the, the face of Jesus. Not into spiritual dynamics, not into words, not into, into imagination, but Jesus himself. Jesus, the one, the only one. We connect into Jesus. When that happens, we begin to be connect, connected in the Spirit. That's why a church is a whole bunch of people following the Holy Spirit, right? Together. Amen? Everything else is static. It's just static. And you see this. You see this all the time um, in the Scriptures. All right. But suddenly... Which means it puts a greater, a greater um, a burden upon us because the burden is for us to be ready at any time. So you have to be disposed, disposable for God at His disposal. He does not fit into your schedule. He does not. He makes adjustments. He makes it work for your schedule but not necessarily in the way that you would be convenient. So I want to invite you to this great event that's taking place. The Holy Spirit is on the move. And we are going to see great and mighty things happen 
It's up to you. You don't have to join. But I want to invite you to join VCF. Because something is about to take place. And those of us who have been praying know it. Okay, know it. The Lord will tell you how, when, and, 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 and what to do. But the exciting part about church is not the pews or the painting, although I love the painting. It's wonderful. We even have a, an, a, a picture of the painting without any people in the seats to, to spoil the painting, the, the, the picture. <laughs> Just the painting. An empty place. Not spoiled by our faces or anything like that. I love it. But that's not what church is. Church may not even be Sunday worship if we are not following God. Church is not church if you come to church on Sunday hoping to listen to a sermon so that you will have some little blessing to take with you, put in your pocket so that you can use it whenever you want to use it. Church is, that's not church. I don't know what that is. It's like an audience, like a, it's like a movie or something. Not a very good one either. But the church is when we follow the Holy Spirit on a daily ba- basis. Amen? I has not seen, not ear heard the things that God has prepared to those that have weighed upon Him. Think about it. I has not seen, not ear heard. Most of us in church, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've done it. It's the same old, old hat. True? Predictable. It's so predictable. Predictable is not bad. But if it's all predictable, then where is the life of the Holy Spirit? So I know I'm asking you for something that's a big ask, but I hide behind Jesus because I believe he's asking for more than I'm asking for. for. Okay? God's choice, God's time. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. I'm struck by the fact that a tongue, an individual tongue, rested on each of them. That's corporate, right? We're talking about corporate. But in the corporateness of our life together, there's an each, eachness. Each individual. And a tongue rested on each of them. Amen. Wonder what it felt like. What does it mean for a tongue to actually rest? upon us. Yeah? What does it mean the tongue actually rests upon us? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it burning? Is it what? What is it? A tongue. To be fair, it doesn't say a a tongue of fire. It's a tongue as of fire. Yeah? As of fire. So it's something mysterious. It's not not actually fire. It's maybe even more than that. But a tongue as of, in tongues of fire, each, each, each having a individual tongue. Your tongue of fire may be a fire to do some serious unconventional stuff for God. Some of you will do things that are pretty conventional but within that conventional structure it'll be amazing. But it is uncontrollable. It cannot be contained. The fire cannot be contained. Amen? The question is then, if we are really the church, then why don't we see that uncontainable stuff? Where, where is that? Rest. The word rest. Keep your finger here and please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 25. 
One of the Old Testament images of the church is the mountain of the Lord. And we've talked about this. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-matured wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-matured wines, strained clear. That means pure, not just a mixture of the Holy Spirit and our own spirit. He will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all people, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. In the Old Testament, the mountain is the, the base of God's operations. Everything happens from the mountain. Rulership comes from the mountain. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 65, he says, I will destiny you for the sword, but out of Jacob, I will cause a remnant to come out. They will be the possessors of my mountains. I want to put it to you that actually the mountain of the Lord is the church. But not just anybody. It's those who have been willing to climb the mountain. Okay? He will swallow up death forever. And then it says, Verse 9, it will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. There is something that struck me about the word rest. We talk a lot about our own rest, right? We're so exhausted that we're all talking about the Bible. The Bible talks about our rest. Have you, have you heard of the fact that the, the, the Bible actually talks about God's rest? His resting upon us. The tongues of fire rested on each one of them. But it says the hand of the Lord will rest upon them. But look what happens here. When the hand of the Lord rests upon the mountain, some things take place that are extraordinary. When that happens, verse 10, the Moabites shall be trodden down in their place as straw is trodden down in a dung pit. Though they spread out their hands in the midst of it, as swimmers spread out their hands to swim, their pride will be laid low despite the struggle of their hands and the high fortifications of his wall will be brought down, laid low, cast to the ground, even to the dust. Uh, Isaiah was speaking into a time in which Moab had grown in power and had become oppressive to the, to the, to the, to the, to the people of Judah. Yeah? And so what God was saying is this, when the hand of the Lord rests upon the mountain, the, the weight of God's hand will be so heavy that it will trample down Moab. When the hand of the Lord is upon us, it will be so heavy that it will trample down the devil. But if he's light on you, you can sweat your heart out for God and nothing will happen. Because if you treat God lightly and you make him fit into your own schedule, then you will experience a light touch from God. That's all. And honestly, some Christians, especially in our modern age, would like a light touch. We don't like God to be too heavy. We are okay with God not being strong upon oppression, upon the devil. We are okay with it. But now I just want to speak to those of you who are not like that. Those of you in BCF who said, look, I want not a light touch from God. I don't want to be just satisfied with getting pictures and images and, and impressions and all that kind of stuff. I want it to have power. I want it to have great authority. But for that to happen, it must rest upon me. It must rest upon me to such an extent that that power flows through me. 
the centurion spoke to Jesus and says, just say the word because I understand authority. I understand the inner workings of authority. I know I've been practiced at this. I know I've experienced the authority, even of a heavy-handed authority from the Roman superiors to such an extent that it has broken me. And when it broke me, it has changed me. So much so that I'm accustomed to authority being exercised upon me. But, not, but I don't feel that it's oppressive. It reorders me. And so when the hand of the Lord rests upon us, the power of God comes upon us. And I want to put it to you that actually there's a way in which church can feel a bit heavy. Because it takes away our freedom. Don't you think? We don't like that because we like the freedom to be able to do whatever we want. But there's a freedom that comes only when his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So when Jesus says, come unto me, ye are weary and heavy, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The rest that only comes when I rest upon you. The yoke rests upon you. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me for I'm lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. So it does happen that when God rests upon us, and we give up our, our autonomy, he actually puts the freedom and the authority through to us. There was a time in which David desired with all his heart, with all his enthusiasm, all his gung-ho-ness, all his like, whoop-de-doo Christianity, that he wanted to bring the ark of the presence of God back to Jerusalem. He wanted the presence of God back to Jerusalem. Like many of us want, we want the presence of God. We want worship to bring the presence of God in. That's good. And so he got the, got, got the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, and he put it upon a cart. And you remember that Ahio was driving the, the cart. And when they, when, when, they, when they drove the cart towards Jerusalem, they were whooping and whoop-de-doing and all that. And they were praising the Lord and all that. And all that jumping up to, to the Lord was all that going, all that amazing stuff was going on. I don't think it was bad. But suddenly the ark toppled. And it toppled Uzzah, put his hand there to just steady it, and God struck him down. Now I think that the language of First uh, uh, Chronicles 13, I believe, First Chronicles 13, is meant to show us that actually God, in, a, in, his, in His Godness, was so manifest that no human being could touch it. Not because of any malice on God's part, not by any malice of God, but because of God's Godness. His sheer awesome fire, just in some way God can't help Him being Himself, if you don't mind me sounding a bit irreverent. Because of the sheer godness of God, Uzzah touched it and he touched something that he didn't realize was far more sublime and far more profound, far more powerful than him, than he had. And he touched it. But you see, they had done it wrong, see? They, have, they had carried the presence of God on a cart, on their new cart, on their technology. It was supposed to carry it on there Shoulders. Only the consecrated priests, Levites, could carry it. They had to feel the weight of the glory of God. If they didn't, it would not be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. It would not be coming the, the glory of God. And it was in this 
sense that the tongues of fire and the hand of the Lord is supposed to rest upon us. I want to put it to you that church is like that. It sometimes feels like a burden. And there are times in which you have to cry out to God because it's so burdensome. But He can carry His own burden. But He wants to place it upon us. You see, if you don't place the, 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 the burden of holiness upon yourself, you will not get a feel for God. You will only feel Him when He's whoop-de-doo and nicey-nice. You will have a sentimental view of God and you will not have God in His fullness. You will only have God the way in which He just closes an eye for you and all that, that kind of thing. And you will listen to all the stuff that's going on around in which God is like your daddy-o and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's your daddy, yeah. I, don't, don't get me wrong. But there's a certain way we can be irreverent with him because we feel so familiar with him. There's a way in which God wants to put his weight upon us. And when that happens, we feel the weight of his sufferings. We feel the weight of his rejection. We feel the weight of his of loss that actually comes. The weight of the fact that he interrupts all our plans. He will rest upon you. Amen? And tongues of fire came and they rested upon him. The hand of the Lord rested upon him. And the, the Ark of the Covenant rested upon the, um, upon the, on the Levite's shoulders. There is a way in which, I just want to say a little bit, just so that we, we, don't, we don't misunderstand each other. There is a way in which we are freedom-loving people. Yeah? We are freedom-loving people. We like freedom or autonomy. We like escape routes from any kind of prison. We like relief from prison. right? And, there, and this is not original. I, I heard this from a a Catholic priest, a Franciscan priest, and he was giving a talk and he said, do you know that there are many people who are men of God, women of God, servants of God, who have fallen terribly? And so he talks about certain ones I won't mention, about how they have become hypocritical, at least to the eyes of some people. They're hypocritical because they preach about holiness, but they are doing all kinds of unspeakable things. But he gives a very different approach to it. He says, I don't think they are really hypocritical. I don't think they intended to go into ministry and make a lot of money and then become all these fantastic uh, money earners and say one thing and do another. I don't think that it's quite as simple as that. I believe that these people actually intended to do good. They were re really called by God. But he said that there's something about this phenomenon, and he calls this phenomenon moral license. Moral license. Moral license happens when you do good. And you do so much good that there's something inside you that says, the good has earned me something. 
has earned me something. There was a, there was a study that was done in Taiwan and in 2011. And the study showed that people who take a multivitamin every day usually have the worst diet habits. They smoke the most, they live life riskily, and they eat very unhealthy because they took a diet, a multivitamin. It's like you worked out for one hour, right? And after that, you decided to have five donuts. What makes you do that? Because you think the good that you did gives you license to do this other thing which you can relax about, correct? Now, with us, in terms of righteousness, we are like that. We are freedom-loving people. And we give up freedoms to go to prayer meeting, we go to, 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 to be holy before the Lord, not look at pornography, not, 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 do, not tell lies, not kill people. We, and there's not only that, we do good. We say the right things, we speak up for those who are oppressed, we do all these things. Have you noticed how the very ones that are doing the most good are the ones who have seemed to have fallen the most. And it's because of this thing that's in us that says, the more I do that's good, the more points I have that I can use to do more relaxed stuff. It's, it's okay. It's going to be all right. I can afford that. Oh, that's me. Sorry. Somebody's telling me it's time to stop. And so there's this thing in us, whether it's working out or it's dieting or it's in, term of, in terms of our special life with God that causes us, and it's a strange thing, the good that we do, the righteousness that we accumulate becomes the very thing that becomes the engine for falling. It is ironically the good that we do that we take in a different way. It doesn't make us say, I want to go all the way. It makes us say, I got points. And I can now relax so that I can do this other thing. And that is why men and women who do great social service, do great things morally, do great things uh, in terms of their, their spiritual life, can fall that much. Because they the good in itself has a negative effect upon their lives. I would say that's not actually Christian. Because of the new covenant God has put in us a new spirit. So that Paul says in Romans, so if it's grace that makes me, uh, that, that, that gives me righteousness, should I not sin? Paul says, what are you talking about? Yeah? What are you talking about? How can you, who have been redeemed and all that, be thinking that way? If you are thinking that way, that means there's something that's not authentic about your, your salvation. Your heart has not been changed into a new covenant heart in which Christ has become in your, your heart. You are still doing righteousness as in the flesh. Because only the flesh will think, I do this righteous thing and then I can do this evil thing. That's why I can speak up for people who are women who are abused and I myself do that as, 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 as well. Because you're doing it with the old heart. And so Paul says that God forbid 
That's why God, Paul says, God forget, forbid. Because you are now a prisoner of Christ. But you're not a prisoner of Christ because you're the old man now in prison. No, it's because you have a new person. Your old, old self died. If your old self has not died, you cannot be a part of the church. I don't mean this as an exclusionary thing. I say that you have not been born into the body of Christ yet. Does that make sense? And the whole church thing becomes very burdensome. I want to put it to you that today God is here. And He has given you a new heart. And then you let Him be the Lord of your choices, the time, and the, Lord, and the God of your rest. You will be free. Welcome. Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you into our church. We desire more than the light touch that doesn't do that much. We want more. We want more from you. Come Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to let the hand of the Lord press heavier until His full weight can be upon your choices, your time, and your rest. God's choice, God's time, and God's rest. Invite the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into the invisible places inside us right now. And not access them, but you're accessing them right now. Come, let your tongue as a fire rest on us. Thank you right now, Jesus. We once again recognize and count ourselves dead to our flesh so that we can be alive to you. Start us off again right now. Start us off every day, every moment. We ask right now that we'll once again say yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do you want to welcome anyone here who has never said to the Lord, yes, Lord, take my heart all the way. Take everything of me. Come and let me be the miracle you want me to be in this world. Take yes, over Lord. everything. Amen. So, Lord, we, we give ourselves to you right now. We pray that prayer, God. We ask right now, come in because we give you permission. We give you permission, Lord Jesus, to be on our shoulders too. Amen. Every day, I look to you to be the strength of my life. Breathe on me and make me new and be the strength of my life. So we commit ourselves into your hands, Lord. Take us, Lord, to be yours and only yours. We commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.